morning, Eastridge friends. It's great to be here. Um, if you're visiting and you don't know who I am, do not spend any energy on that because I won't be here next week. Um, well, I do, uh, my wife Darlene and I do have a connection to Pastor Duane and Sharon, though. Uh, the connection, apparently in the last service I said Darlene's related to Sharon, which that kind of covers a lot of ground, right? And Darlene said, you maybe want to say I'm her sister. Uh, so it's a little, you know, kind of a close relation. Uh, Dwayne, Pastor Dwayne and I met when my family moved from the Portland area out to Corbett, and we relocated to a new church. Um, and <clears throat> I was uh, about six, seven years old. And uh, back in the good old days, I don't know if they do it today, you had boys' Sunday school class. And I walked into the boys' Sunday school class, and one of the people in there was Dwayne. And so uh, we've known each other for a long time. We've been friends. In fact, Dwayne uh, lived at our house when his parents moved in, into the Portland area for a while. And uh, the two of us lived in uh, the basement of our house out in Corbett. And uh, we had offsetting schedules. I worked early in the morning shift at a truck stop, and he worked swing shift um, at a plant. And uh, we, so we didn't see each other, actually, even though we were kind of in the same room. We didn't see each other all that much. But you have an incredibly talented pastor, because I don't know if many people could do this. He owned a little Volkswagen Bug. Uh, I was kind of beat up, but he was driving back late one night from work, and uh, <clears throat> I was deep into my REM sleep, and uh, all of a sudden, he comes bursting in, and he's kind of, you know, huffing and puffing and, and uh, exercised, and he's like, I ran off the road, you got to help me, and uh, so, and I woke up, we got a tow rope, and uh, my dad's car, and we went up, and he had caught some gravel and gone over the edge, but this was the incredible part that you probably couldn't do again. His front bumper, there was, a, there was a fence. We were in, you know, kind of farm country. There was a fence. He'd gone off the road and just skidded over, and his front bumper was sitting on top of a fence post. And so that's why when he was trying to, he was just hung up enough, and, you know, the mighty engine of a Volkswagen Bug would not uh, pull him off that fence post. So we pulled him off. He also then confessed that part of the reason he was so uh, exercised was because a dog chased him for about a mile. And uh, so he was running away from a dog in his car, and it was late at night. And, uh, but all is well, and he grew up to be your pastor. So that's great. Uh, I want to just... Uh, uh, talk a little bit about uh, ways, if you're interested in engaging deeper after today, um, we are really, we personally, but also this region of the world, uh, are open to all the prayer that could be offered. And so we have a couple things to encourage you in that, along that way. Uh, one of those is a bookmark, that's kind of a typical thing. It's got uh, our our focuses, the missional focus that we do in the region. It's got some countries on the back and uh, kind of our vision statement. The table right at the back of this center area is where these things are. So there's some of those there. If, um, if you're a fridge magnet person or if you don't own a calendar, 
Uh, I can take care of both of those uh, issues. We have some fridge magnets with calendars and a really nice picture of some Middle Eastern spice. Uh, that would remind you to pray for the region and for our ministry. And then uh, we have a brochure like this, and it has a number of ways you could partner and invest from financially uh, supporting to receiving uh, more updated information. And all of that is on the back table. We also, there's just an old school yellow pad with a pen. And if you want to receive our email updates, if you could uh, sign your name and put your email, and we can send that to you. Um, so the MENA region is uh, roughly what you see on the map up there. It is predominantly Arab culture, uh, with the exception of, of course, Israel, which would be predominantly Jewish culture. Um, but within the general Arab culture, realize that there is Turkish culture, which is in Turkey, Persian culture, which is Iran. Uh, there's the Berber culture, which is North Africa. Uh, this region of the world is about 360 million or more people that God loves. Uh, the next slide is a picture of us um, doing a kind of a, I guess this is kind of a touristy thing you do, right? Um, this is uh, the, the two of us in uh, Egypt. Uh, and, you know, really, the pyramids and things that are in the region, they, they are amazing. But I just want to say what's really amazing are the people of the region. I, I know that's not the dominant message that we get through the news, but uh, uh, in our time, my time before now, and now as I've been able to go, we've been able to go more often, we just more and more appreciate uh, and really love the people of region. So what are we about? Because when I grew up, a missionary, um, somebody that I grew up with also goes to the church, and they came up and they said, you know, you didn't sound like the missionaries that used to come to church when we were kids. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, number one, I don't have a slideshow other than this really great slide, which also uh, Darlene said, you know, here's the difference. I mean, you can tell the difference between Dwayne and I. I'm short. He's not. Uh, she said, if it was Sharon in that picture, absolutely the hair would not have been blowing in the wind. I don't know how she would do it, but somehow it would be a perfect picture, right? And so that would be the difference. But, um, you know... What does it mean to be a missionary, especially in this region of the world where it's frankly not that easy to just move over? So we live in, um, we live in the Minneapolis area, and we take about five or six trips a year over to the region. But here's how we're doing it, is that we are not, we are missionaries. We are, we are people entrusted with the gospel, but how we're going to do it is this, that we want to partner with local ministries in the MENA region to see the love of Christ transform individuals and communities. That's really the same thing that you want to see, that Eastridge wants to see. And we do it in four areas because we're like a church plant. In the 90s, this was a church plant. You can't do everything. What Eastridge does today, they could not do in the 90s, right? Well, what we, what some of the established mission regions in the covenant, we can't do what they do. 
But we work in these four areas. Religious persecution, and in particular, we want to focus on helping the suffering church. Muslim engagement. I mean, you can't be in that region. If you don't want to engage with Muslims, then you better not go to that region of the world because you're going to run into them. Uh, ministry to refugees. Just a lot of, you know, that's what we hear in the news. Probably that's one of the things that you think about. And then peace and reconciliation. That, um, you know, Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. And we should not believe the lie that there cannot be peace that come to people today. We can't just write an entire part of the world off and say, well, that's that part of the world, and they can never experience peace. Will it be a political peace settlement? I don't know. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the kingdom peace that comes through God. So let's take a look at... um, Matthew 2, 1 to 12, you can follow along. If you have a Bible, you can read it uh, old school. If you have a phone, you can read it that way. It's all God's Word. This text is one that you're going to say, hmm, he didn't seem like he got the memo that Christmas is over. Like this, uh, what's he doing this thing for? Uh, Well, uh, maybe not many of you grew up in kind of a, a historic church, but in the historic church, they follow kind of a church year. And most of us know about things like uh, Easter and, and Advent, you know, where we focus on the coming of the Lord. Right after, a really short period, right after Christmas is Epiphany, which just means uh, appearing. And this is the time when we focus on the appearing of of Jesus Christ and God in Jesus Christ. And uh, last week was officially in the Western world, Epiphany Sunday, but uh, in the Orthodox tradition, it's, uh, it's yet this week. Um, so I'm, I'm still okay as far as people that follow these things. This is still an appropriate text, and it's in the Bible, so it's appropriate. So let's uh, listen to this together, shall we? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, And they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You know, I don't know um, what you think of when you think of this text in particular. Um, I kind of think back in a childish way to how the text gets reduced to a song, We Three Kings. And I think of being a kid, uh, a young child, and, and back in the day, we would, you know, when we kind of got bored or when, we, when the, the, the hymn seemed kind of boring, we would sing, We Three Kings of Orionar tried to smoke a rubber, a rubber cigar. It was loaded, it exploded, sending us to the stars. And we thought that was pretty funny and a much better addition than what was being sung in church. Um, but what do you think about when you hear Middle East, North Africa? Like what goes, what runs through your mind? We all, we all think about parts of the world and sometimes we think about them less. But even if you don't think about it much, there is something in the fabric of your brain and of your thinking that is a backdrop to how you approach this region. So do you think of political instability? Do you think of violence or terrorism? Do you think of uh, the Gulf and like this just incredible extreme wealth on one hand? And then what you see with the refugees and the extreme poverty on the other. Or what about this? Do you ever think of the, that region in terms of amazing hospitality? Do you think about that region as not only the birthplace of Jesus, but do you think of it as the birthplace of Christianity? across North Africa and through the Mediterranean region? Do you ever think of it as a place where a missional God is at work in incredible ways? This text is just kind of familiar to us, or we, we think it's familiar. So I just want to start by doing a little bit of exegetical work. I, I grew up on a farm, and, and when we would... Um, work on a field, you know, sometimes you just have to kind of just, just like work it up rough the first time. So let's do a little bit of that, and then we'll see about maybe some application. So look at these, some of these words that pop out of here. Well, first of all, there's Bethlehem. Bethlehem is uh, about six miles or a three-hour journey in that day away from Jerusalem. Bethlehem was kind of in the shadow of Jerusalem. Is the it was the, the little city, near the big city where everything happened. But it was more than that. It was also in the shadow of a, a fortress, which was actually a man-made mountain called the Herodian. And so, you know, you're in your shepherd's fields, and it's all seeming serene. And then you look off, and you see this, this large, imposing reminder of a foreign power being right next door to you. And then there's the Magi. You know, we just kind of have them as children in bathrobes and homemade crowns, right, a lot of times. These were most likely, most scholars would say, from modern-day Iran, 
Persians. Um, they were interested in the stars, and so you think, well, they're kind of like scientists, right? Well, it was science, but it was way more than that. They were astrologers. The stars were accessing how they saw their pagan religion. And so these are, these are not, you know, sometimes in the New Testament you read about God-fearers. These are kind of Greeks who converted. These are not these people. These are still people way, way away from anything of the Jewish faith, the faith in Yahweh. But these are people that are rather, they've got this kind of complicated pagan religion. They could have been polytheists, you know, many gods or Zoroastrian in worship. We don't know exactly, but that's what some of the scholars uh, think. And they followed this star. Now, a lot of some uh, scholars think that maybe the star was a cluster of stars because, and this is the reason, they know enough about how in that day the, the thing would work. So stars were, were noted. So there would be like a star of Judah. There would be a royal star. And so some conjecture that maybe the brightness of it and all was that this was actually some kind of cluster of stars. They came from the east. Again, most would say Persia, modern-day Iran, but maybe Yemen and Somalia because gold and incense came from that area. It talks about Herod. Herod was uh, kind of simultaneously genius and insane. He was incredibly gifted at building things. I mean, when you, when you see some of the structures 2,000 years later that survived, and you try to think about what they didn't have to build those things, you are amazed at what was accomplished by this man. But he was a brutal man. He was a paranoid man. He had two of his own sons killed because he thought they were probably going to try and take over his, his role as king. He had his favorite, he didn't do it himself, you know, you have people do your stuff, you have minions, but he had his favorite wife, in quotes, strangled because she was accused falsely of something, so he just decided to get rid of her. So if you're the favorite wife and you get strangled, I'm not sure how it went for the rest, but one historian said it would be better to be Herod's pig than a member of his family. So that kind of gives you an idea of what he was like. He was, um, he was not Jewish. He, he was kind of quasi-Jewish in that he was Idumean or Edomite, and his family was forced to convert to Judaism. So he was kind of quasi-Jewish um, and enough to be uh, sort of installed as king of the area. And then the religious leaders. Well, these are, these are religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, either those kind of people. But what's important to know for this is that we know from historical records that, that he got rid of all the existing ones and he put his own in. So these were like, yeah, they were religious leaders, but these were patronage appointments who would be loyal to him. And then the text talks about Herod and all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Well, it's obvious why a paranoid person would be disturbed when somebody shows up saying, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And, you know, he's kind of like, 
you didn't see the sign on the door? That's me. No, no, I, we're talking about the new guy, the new one. We're looking for him. So if you're a paranoid person, this is not really a delegation that you want coming to visit you. Well, the religious people, of the, they would be disturbed too because it was very clear that Judaism was to have nothing to do with things like astrology. And so this whole thing, this whole coming together, this discussion about Messiah by a group of pagans, this is bad. And so that would be very disturbing to them. And then finally it talks about gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is likely a reference to Isaiah 60, which starts out, Arise, shine, for your light has come. It talks about God's coming and the Messiah. And, and it says in there that gold and incense will be brought. Now, you say, oh, come on. How, how, would, how, would, how would people have heard that, gold and frankincense and myrrh? And how would they put that together? Well, this is... This is maybe how, and I totally blew this in the first uh, service, so uh, I'm going to try this again. Okay, if you're from the Pacific Northwest, I think you know about the 12th man up in the Seattle with the Seahawks. Does that culturally kind of ring true? That, that at least if you follow football at all, you've, you've heard of this 12th man thing. All right, a little cultural lesson. I've lived since 1984 in Canada. See, just to be different, the Canadians have... 12 that play legally at one time on the field. So if I'm from Seattle and I'm in Canada at a Canadian football league game and I'm like, man, you should see the amazing, you should see the 12 man in Seattle. It's amazing. A Canadian would say, huh, well, we got 12 out there. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the quarterback or, you know, which of the 12 is it? You see, you have to understand the culture. Well, these people were so ingrained in the culture of the text that they would completely get these connections that Matthew was making back and forth to the Old Testament. Now, let's try to bring it to today with some implications. First of all, that we are talking about a missional God and that God's mission does the unexpected. God's mission does the unexpected. It, the passage screams unexpected because it's in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the Jewish gospel. Matthew should have had the shepherds. I mean, the shepherds were like other side of the tracks kind of people, but at least they were Jewish. It's completely out of sorts that Matthew would talk about these pagans coming. This is... This is just something that is unexpected. And yet what we believe about Scripture is that it is God-breathed. And so this wasn't Matthew who got a bad group of hummus. This is actually God's idea, that he just wants to keep everybody off a little bit. Oh, you think you know what is going to come in Matthew? No, let's put this text in. I can tell you that if you had asked us five years ago, Darlene, Jeff, do you think you're going to be missionaries? Well, now, ge generically, will we be involved in the mission of God? Will we try to live that way with our neighbors? Yes. Will we be missionaries? No. Unexpected. God does that. 
Uh, one of our partners in the region is, is Bethlehem Bible College. And Bethlehem Bible College decided, which makes good sense, right? We're going to do an online course because there's a lot of closed regions. And they thought, we can, we can take our classes electronically into countries and into areas where we could never send an instructor or set up a Bible school. And so they did this, and they've had some amazing... There are people all around the world taking uh, uh, Bible and theology classes in, in Arabic out of this BBC online. But what amazed them, the unexpected is this, is that they got connected to an Islamic center. An Islamic center contacted them and said, we want to take your class in the Psalms. We want to hear Christian teaching on the Psalms. Never blew the faculty away. They never thought that was what God might be about. Where will it go? With these lawyers and doctors and PhDs taking this? Who knows? But God does the unexpected. Sometimes God helps us learn unexpected lessons. We were in Bethlehem one time. I was there with uh, four pastors and just a small group, and we were attending a conference, and uh, there was a demonstration, so there was some tear gas going on, and uh, we had to get back to our hotel, which was in another location, and one of, one of my friends said, well, if you go out the back way and then go down the alley and go this way, you can get to your hotel safely. So we did that. Um, but on the way, one of our, one of our group started really choking up. And uh, so, you know, I was like, we got to get this guy inside. And I look, and there's a, there's a place with a restaurant and a kind of little gift shop all together. And there's a, just a resident. He's just kind of standing, you know, watching all this happen, I guess, another day in Bethlehem or something. Anyway, and I went up to him and I said, hey, could you help us? Can we just come in and get some water from you? And we've got a guy that's having a hard time breathing. Oh, you are welcome. You are welcome. We came in. We had hardly sat down, and his sons had brought, and they had water at the table. And then they brought us chopped up onions, which is the natural antidote in case you ever are in tear gas. And they shoved these, these onion halves right in our face and said, now breathe. And it, it neutralized it. It was amazing. And we just, and, and, it, and we, you know, I offered to pay, and he says, no, I am so sorry this happened to you in our city. You may not pay me. And so on the way out, one of the pastors was like, man, that was such an amazing Christian man. And I said, because I'd seen his beads, prayer beads, I said, actually, that was an amazing Muslim man taught us a lesson about what hospitality looks at to the stranger. God's mission is not only unexpected, but it's for all. Here we have these pagan Gentile astrologers coming, but they don't just come to deliver some goods, they worship. We need to recapture a strong view of the image of God in all of humanity. We don't like to admit it, I don't think, but we all do this. We have certain areas of the world where the image of God is just a little less. We think of people a little less. When we think of people as less than us, 
we have diminished the image of God. I don't know, uh, you may you may be really well aware of this, or you may not, but did you, did you know that in 2018 and projected for 2019, the world's worst humanitarian crisis is in Yemen, and it gets almost no press. I'm convinced it gets almost no press uh, for a number of reasons. It's very complicated politically, but it's in that part of the world. We uh, were visiting a refugee camp in Lebanon, and one of the mothers, uh, Darlene, was talking to her and said, what, what do you want me to go home and tell my friends? I mean, here's a woman. They're in these kind of canvas, two-by-two, uh, two, stapled-on structures. Uh, they just had a terrible snow and rain, and a lot of them are flooded now. But, uh, you know, they got away with maybe a shelf or two of their most precious things. Pictures, you know, a special coffee pot, those kinds of things. So they have very little. So what do you want us to say? And she said, tell your friends that we are strong for our families. Now we can learn we can learn from that. That is God's image in these people. Uh, young, a young teenager that we met, she was at a, a, a course or a, a presentation on health. And she was so intent, you could just tell, you know, she was so intent on listening and hearing. And Darlene asked, what do you want, what do you want in your future? What do you... What you really like to see happen in your future? It was, it was just hard because what she said was this, I hope I can learn to read. Because of when they became refugees and then when she tried to go to school and school's expensive, but she tried to go, but all the children were young and it was embarrassing and she's trying to learn to read on her phone. God's mission is for all. Can we, can we not just feel sorry, but can we believe that these are people, these two are people that could do amazing things for God. And then finally, God's mission invites transformation. You see, it's, it's not just like communicating some information. The Magi, they got the information. I mean, God used, He started where they were at, He's like, okay, you like looking in the stars and, you know, figuring stuff out? I'll give you this. They, they were able to figure that information out enough to get to Jerusalem. They worshipped. They were transformed. God spoke to them in a dream. They were transformed. Unfortunately, the religious establishment who should have known, they weren't transformed. Herod, we know from later on, he wasn't transformed. The only reason he wanted to go was to do away with this threat to his kingdom. Bethlehem Bible College, which today is an amazing force for the gospel, was started when a pastor who heard this other pastor talk about this vision to have 
training for pastors and leaders in the region in Arabic language. And, you know, he just said, it's fine for those of us that speak English. We, we get good teaching. But there wasn't good teaching in the Arabic language. And so they, uh, he, 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 it was a pastor's lunch or something, and he kind of gave this word, this passion word. And the next week, one of the colleagues that was there came up to him with a $20 bill, gave it to him and said, okay, you have $20, go start your Bible school. And Bashara said, it's insane, you can't, even back in those days, you can't start a Bible school for $20. But he took it as the sign from God that he was to be transformed. And today that $20 is a campus in Bethlehem that proclaims the gospel. We visited the Jordanian Bible Society, and the, the, the uh, number of Christians in Jordan is very small, under, well under 2%. But they said, they said, the leader of the Bible site is an incredible leader, and he said, you know, we can't use that as an excuse. We have to be a force for good in our country that we love. We love our country of Jordan. They really love their king. Big pictures of him in the, in the Bible society up on the wall. We love our country. And so they came up with this. They said the image of wata or tent peg. That's the Arabic word for tent pig. And they said a lot of Jordanians started as Bedouins. They're kind of nomadic, and they understand tents in the desert. But because of the wind, it doesn't matter how big the tent is, if it's not secured by a line to a wata that's driven into the ground, the tent falls. And so these Christians have taken this on. They've been transformed from we're so small, we can't do anything to... We hold the tent up. God is using us to hold the tent up. So what about us today? What about us? What is the mission that God is inviting you to today? In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion. The Lord's table. It, it binds us together as a community. As we come together as a community, it binds us to the love and the grace of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But it also reminds us that we are bound to the ongoing mission of God. This table isn't just about the past. This table propels us into the future. So as you come to the table, come and seek the unexpected that God might want to do in your life. Come asking that God would give you eyes to see the universal nature of what He is doing. And come asking for the transforming work of God, not only around the world, yes, around the world, where it's happening in places like Mina, but in our own hearts and minds. Let's pray. God, you are such a big God, a loving God. We give you great thanks for who you are. We thank you that um, we have these brothers and sisters in another part of a world that can teach us so much. I'm just so grateful for our Jordanian brothers and sisters who, although a small in number, have caught your big vision for their country.
Give us that kind of vision, both for here and for there, and for the whole world that you truly love. In Christ's name, 